Now, I don't want you to answer out loud. Please don't do it out loud. But on a scale of 1 to 10, how stressful is your Christmas season already? For you right now, you know, where are you at on that, uh, that spectrum of stress? Stress is something we all face. I mean, that's just the reality of life. It doesn't have to have a holiday to cause stress. But if we don't know how to deal with it, if we don't have any margin in our lives, then we get gobbled up by the pressure and by the anxiety of life. In your outline, and I encourage you to follow along this morning from the outline, it says this in the beat. So to deal with the chaos of Christmas and to maintain some margin in your life requires some simple but hard choices. See, the way to peace is not a mystery. And I know some of us think, well, I'll, I can never figure this out. No, it's not that hard. It's not a mystery. It's not a secret. In fact, it really is rather simple. But it's easy, way too easy for us to live by the tyranny of the urgent and to miss the pathway, to miss those things that we can do to find peace. And so I want us to see this morning how to find peace in the midst of pandemonium. Number one in your outline, first thing we can do, get a grip on what really matters. Get a grip on what really matters. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that you need to get a handle on what really is and isn't important in your life. One of the reasons why we get so stressed out is that we tend to lose focus. We get so engaged and so involved in so many things that we forget what really is important, what really matters most. We're doing so much in so many places and we're spread so thin that we're like this overblown balloon. You know, ever seen a kid just keep blowing and blowing and, and then it goes to the point where it pops. And like I said last week, when it comes to dealing with materialism, one of the truths we need to embrace, one of the things that we can do and under, need to understand is that the greatest things in life aren't things. People are what matter most. And I want you to listen in the same way. Get this, in the same way. One of the ways we deal with our amped out schedules and our busyness is to prioritize our lives based on the same truth. People are what matter most. What good is it if I'm running around like crazy, doing this and going here and there, but in the process I miss what really matters? What good is it if I miss the opportunity to connect with people in a meaningful way? I mean, wouldn't it be tragic to come to Christmas and to not like any of the people you're sitting around the Christmas tree with? And because you're so angry or frustrated or tense with each other that there's just been this undercurrent of, of uh, chaos and, and tension the whole time. I love the story of Jesus and the blind beggar Bartimaeus. It's in Mark chapter 10. Let's pick it up in verse 46. I want you to look at something that Jesus did. Mark 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, see the picture here. Jesus is leaving town. He's performed lots of miracles. He's doing what he does. He's got his disciples with him and this huge crowd. So this large crowd of people are with him. And then there's this blind guy on the side of the road. Not an uncommon sight in that day for people who were uh, in that kind of condition to be begging. And, and here he is on the side and he hears that it's Jesus and he starts to yell at the top of his voice. He's not just passively saying, oh, Jesus. He is yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more. I love the tenacity of this guy. I'm not giving up. Son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 49, Jesus stopped. We're going to go back to this in just a minute, but I, I want you to see what happened here. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Don't you love crowds? One moment they're telling you, shut up. You leave Jesus alone. And now everything's, oh, hey, for you, come on. Jesus wants you. Good job. Way, way to go. 
And so they bring him to Jesus. Well, he, he throw his cloak, throwing his cloak aside, verse 50, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Jesus was a busy guy. If you've read the Gospels, you know that he was incredibly busy. Huge crowds followed him and huge demands were placed on him everywhere he went. But it says in verse 49 that Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. One blind man mattered to Jesus. One person. Just one guy in the midst of all of this going on, this huge crowd. Jesus heard this man and one man mattered to him. And so he stopped. You know, I've confessed to you before that I tend to be at times a task-driven monomaniac. Uh, I can get focused on my to-do list, on things that have to get done, and can be driven by that. But because I know that I have that tendency, and because God is good and He's been working on me for a long time, and that He's committed to my growth in this area, I've been learning. I really have. I've been learning for a long time to put people first. When my sons were young, I've got two boys, and they're both grown up now. My youngest boy is 21. But when they were little, they loved to play with Legos. Anybody have Legos in your home? Yeah. <laughs> and they loved Legos. And we had, you know, the Lego city in the living room. And, and they would build these Lego towers. And we even had this Lego boat once and all these things. And nothing meant more to my boys than when I would come home from a busy day and I'd get down on the floor while Laura's going to put the finishing touches on dinner and get on the floor with them and just get into it with them, start building Lego towers and, and doing different things with them. Or after dinner, just to take some time to go to that place where they had it all set up and say, Daddy, would you build with us for a while? Would you play with us for a while? Nothing meant more to my sons than that time. Now, I'm going to tell you, I didn't get a whole lot out of the Lego thing. I don't like building. I don't like fixing. I'm, I, my hands aren't good for much at all. And so putting things together and building things has never been the kind of thing that just turns my crank and floats my boat. It doesn't do it for me. But you know what? Seeing the joy in my boys' eyes, knowing how much it meant to them, made that time, those experiences that I had with them, precious, made it invaluable to me. There were great times because there were times where I set aside. I had other things to do. And frankly, you know, important things. But nothing was more important to me than taking the time just to be with my sons. Nothing brought them more joy. And nothing brought me more joy than just to hang out with them. At the end of the day, and I don't do this all the time, but I often... Well, I ask myself, laying there in bed, I just, one of my routines to kind of unwind and get ready to go to sleep is I often just talk to God for a while and, and I'll ask myself the question, did I, did I love my wife today? Did I really, truly show her that she's important to me? Do my kids know how valuable they are to me? Do they really understand how much I love them? And do the people that cross my path today, do they feel loved and cared for by me? Again, wouldn't it be just tragic to finish my to-do list only to find wounded and neglected people in the wake of all my activity? And so here's a little relational insight for you today. I want you to write this down. You will not know peace in your own heart until you make relationships first. You're not going to know peace in your own heart. You're certainly not going to know it in your relationships until you put those relationships, until you put people first, until they really believe that they are more important to you than your schedule or your to-do list. Because some of you are just like me. I know you are. You can, you know, you got your list and, and you, you love to check things off. You know, you're, 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 you've been known to put things on your list after you've done them just so that you can check them off. 
How many? Come on, let's see. Yeah, I've done that, yeah. You know, and I, and I know how easy, believe me, I know how easy it is to be driven and to be focused on all the things. But do the people in your life know at the end of the day that they're more important to you than all the other things in your life? Now, this doesn't mean, listen carefully, <laughs> this doesn't mean that you don't have a schedule or a to-do list. Uh, I live, you know, by my day timer and my to-do list is important to me. It doesn't mean that you set those things aside. It doesn't mean that you don't have order or structure in your life. I'm not suggesting that you just kind of add to the chaos by becoming chaotic. That's not my point at all. But it does mean, it does mean that there will be times when you will need to set aside your to-do list. You'll need to set aside your schedule. You'll need to do just what Jesus did and be just like Him. You'll need to stop. Jesus Stopped. All the things going on. Had places to go, people to see, ministry to do, spiritual things. But Jesus stopped for one man. Sometimes you're going to need to just set it aside and say, you know what, how can I help you? How can I love you? What can I do for you? And peace comes from putting into your life godly priorities. And there isn't anything more important than your relationship with God and your relationship with people. And so there's peace that comes from living with godly priorities. The pathway to peace involves prioritizing people. I want to say it again. The pathway to peace involves prioritizing people in your life. Don't let the busyness of this season rob you. And I just want to encourage you this morning. Don't let it rob you of meaningful relational connection with the people around you. We, uh, you may have noticed when you came in this morning, the smell of popcorn. Anybody? Still a little hungry? <laughs> We have all these bags that we want to give you on the way out. And it's not just a bag of popcorn to eat. Uh, It is a popcorn garland bag. And inside there's some instructions and some string and a needle and popcorn. And we wanted to do everything we could to just help you. A bunch of the ladies came down here Friday. And thank you, ladies, by the way. And put together lots of these bags so that you could take these home. And I, you know, maybe you think, well, we don't do popcorn garland. We don't want to put that on our tree. Just take the time to do it anyhow. Especially if you've got kids or with your spouse, if you could just sit down and do something that really, in the scope of eternity, popcorn garland's not going to really make or break you. But the time that you just take to do that and just to talk as you're putting it together, just to share maybe your favorite Christmas memories. You know, uh, Alyssa asked about traditions, Christmas traditions, and and I encourage you to develop those, and if you have them, to practice those in your family, because those are traditions that really are fun for you, fun for your family. For 29 years, we've been married 30 years. We've only done it 29 because one year we lived in Florida. But for 29 years, we've gone out and cut our tree down as a family. We always carve a time out. We do it. You know, we go out. We did it last Sunday afternoon. And is it easier just to walk down to a lot and buy one? Yeah. Could you get just as good a tree? Yeah. But we like to do this. We've done it as a family. And we go and take everybody we can in our family and just go and do it together. Those times together are precious and valuable. And again, I want to encourage you, carve out time for people. Now, you might be thinking, well, what about me? (laughs) I need some downtime. I need some time to myself. And I want you to hear me say this morning that that is a legitimate need in the midst of this time as well. Which takes us to the second thing you might do to find some peace. Number two, take a break and refuel and refresh. Take a break and refuel. To refuel and refresh. In other words, take some downtime before you crash and burn. Now, notice here that I said before you crash and burn. Uh, most of us are smart enough, at least after we've, you know, ended in a pool you know, of drool, to stop and to, to figure out, okay, I need to stop for a while. 
But before you get there, before you get that, you know, spent, take some time. Carve some time out. You cannot run on empty. It is true of your car and it is true of you. Yesterday I went out and I got my car and I'm driving down the block and all of a sudden I notice the warning light comes on. Got a little flashing thing that says, you know, it doesn't say, but it shows me. You're running out of gas. You're, you're low. And, you know, I could ignore that light. I could just, what does that mean? What does that thing know? I mean, I know what's in my car and, and I could just keep driving and what's going to happen to me? I'm going to end up calling somebody. Could you bring me some gas? I'm going to end up stranded somewhere because I didn't pay attention to the warning lights. And I want to encourage you in your life, pay attention to the warning lights that are there. They're there. Pay attention to them and take some time to stop and refuel. One of the ways we refuel is by observing a day of rest or what the Bible calls the Sabbath. Exodus 20, let me read you a passage from Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. Moses writes this and he says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days a week are set apart for your daily duties and regular work, but the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any kind of work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners that live among you. Verse 11, For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Then He rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Always amazes me here when I read this to see that God Himself took a day of rest. That He modeled for us a way of life that is very important to our health. Now, some get all hung up. Some of you are already thinking, that's Old Testament, that's the Old Covenant, that's the Law. And some of us get all hung up on, you know, Old versus New, the Old Covenant and the Law versus New Covenant and Grace. But the truth is, all of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, all of them can be found in principle or in practice in the New Testament. All of them. And, by the way, the other thing you need to know is that God modeled the practice of Sabbath rest long before there were either covenants. Genesis chapter 2, he had this, God, it says that he took time. Again, that's where he, he, he created the earth and all that is in it. And on the seventh day, he rested. It was a pre-covenant routine long before either covenant was written. You can check it out, Genesis chapter 2. And so the old versus the new covenant really isn't the issue here. Because the practice, the principle of the Sabbath, transcends both covenants. And so the principle is clear. You and I were created with the need for regular rest. Rest from all our regular duties and all the tasks of life. You need to rest your body. You need to rest your heart, your emotions. You need to rest your mind. And then you need to carve out time to refresh and refresh your soul as well by giving some focus attention to your relationship with God. And so it's not just a day off. It's a day where we recalibrate our lives. Uh, like a lot of you, I've got an inkjet printer in my office. And uh, inkjets are, uh, uh, they do the job. But once in a while, you have to, I have to get, put my printer through this recalibration process. The inkjet heads get a little messed up. And so the printing's not real clear. It can get kind of fuzzy or out of sync. And so I put my printer through this recalibration, this resyncing of the ink jets that are in there. Well, when we miss or ignore the biblical principle of rest and refreshing for our bodies, our heart, our mind, our soul, we're out of sorts. We get distressed. We get out of sync and anything but peaceful. When we miss or ignore the process of recalibration, of realignment of our souls and our walk with God, we can again get out of sync and things can start to get pretty fuzzy. You know, I, I wear glasses because I have astigmatism and, and uh, if I take them off, 
I see bodies, but they're all kind of blurry and fuzzy to me. And there's this clarity that comes. There's this point. There you are. You look good. There's this clarity that comes when we realign, when we recalibrate our lives. And that's the intent of the Sabbath rest. That's why God instituted the Sabbath. It was for our benefit. And so let me put it to you another way. A pathway to peace comes as we honor God's plan and pattern for our lives. It comes as we make relationships a priority. And then it comes as we practice the way God intended for us to practice life. As we put into place the things that He's asked us to do, the practices that He's asked of us, as we align ourselves with the way He's asked us to live. And so I want to encourage you. In fact, I want to, again, here's a little challenge. Carve out some downtime. I know you're thinking, but I've got this to do, and the house isn't here, and I've got that, and, and we're not ready for this, and there's all these things. I know. But trust me on this one. If you'll just take even 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, to carve out some downtime, some time with you and Jesus, some time where you're not engaged doing all the craziness of the holiday, you'll be far more refreshed and probably more energetic and more productive in the long run anyhow. See, God made us that way. He knows that when we take a Sabbath rest, that we actually get energized, and then the other six days are better. They're the way God meant for them to be. One last thing, number three. One last way to, pay, to peace. Number three, discover the key to just about everything. Discover the key to just about everything. Now, I know when anyone, and uh, probably especially a pastor, says, here's the key to everything, some of you immediately grow a little skeptical at that. Uh, we have been taught that life is complicated and that the good answers are always elusive. We've kind of been fed that. No, no, you know, it's, it's never easy. It's never simple. But there really are, listen, guys, there really are some simple things that you can do. So simple that we miss them sometimes. And one of the things that we can do to find peace in our life, and I want you to trust me on this one, one of them is prayer. The surest path to peace comes through prayer. Now, please don't turn me off. Because again, some of you think, oh, I've heard pastors talk about prayer before. I'm about to get in this guilt thing and I don't want to go there. You know, I, don't, I don't pray enough. Don't tell me that. Just hang with me here for a moment, okay? I want to talk to you real honestly about this issue. Why don't you look with me at Philippians chapter 4, what Paul had to say about this. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and they were his friends. He loved that church deeply. And he said to them, guys, if you want the peace of God to guard your heart, and the word there that he uses for guard means to stand sentry. I mean, picture a Marine, you know, standing at the White House and, and at the door, guarding, making sure that, you know, that no one goes in It's not supposed to go in. He said, if you want the peace of God to stand as sentry, to guard your hearts, then, then you need to, to, in everything, pray, is what he says here. In other words, don't just make prayer uh, an activity or an event, but make it a lifestyle. In everything, pray. I used to read this passage that I'm going to read to you from 1 Thessalonians. And frankly, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was very unrealistic. I don't know if you've ever read any of the Bible and thought it was like unrealistic. But once in a while, I've kind of struggled through things. I'm like, come on, God. And this one here, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Do you see any latitude here for, you know... Be joyful always. 
Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And again, I've struggled before. How can anyone be joyful all the time? And if I'm going to pray all the time, then how am I, what am I going to eat? What am I going to sleep? How do I pray continually? It just doesn't make sense. But you know, over the years, I've started to understand something. I've had some great mentors in my life. One of them being a guy named Noel Campbell who's taught me this. That what Paul's talking about here is the way of life. He's not, he's not talking about an, an, an event or an activity. We think, we think pray, we think, okay, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, my soul to keep. Oh Lord, thank you for this food. Or whatever. We think it's this event, this activity, this thing that we do. You know, one more thing to check off on our list or one more thing we have to do. But what he's dealing with, what he's talking about here is a way of life. I pray a lot. And I pray in this building on a regular basis. I pray in my office all the time. I pray up in my spot up on the hills. I overlook the valley. I pray. I have events of prayer. And so I'm not saying that you never have regular times. But you know when I pray the most and where I pray the most? Throughout the course of my day. I pray as I'm driving down the road. Somebody cuts me off and I want to swear at them. Oh God, please forgive that jerk. I pray when I'm sitting in Starbucks and I see somebody walk through the door and I realize, boy, there's somebody that really needs to know Jesus. I pray as I'm driving down the street. I pray you know, when I'm talking to lots of you. I mean, in my mind, in my heart, as I'm talking with the staff or with people, often in the background there's this, God, what do you want me to say to this person? What can I do that you would do in this situation? How can I be just like you, Jesus? And so for me, and I'm not bragging about it, I'm trying to model something for you. For me, prayer has become a way of life, a lifestyle. I pray all the time because I've discovered how desperate I am for God all the time. I pray continually throughout my day because I consistently find myself in need. In need of God's wisdom, in need of God's direction, in need of God's forgiveness, in need of God's grace. And I've been learning for a long time now to make prayer, to make my conversations with God a normal and regular part of my everyday life. Brother Andrew, many, many, many years ago, wrote a book called Practicing His Presence. And it's an old concept, but it's a, it's a radical way to live. Where you just, you're doing the dishes. You're sitting there helping your kid put together the Lego city. You're involved in whatever it is you're involved in, and you learn just to engage, involve, and to mix your communication with God. Because He's there. He's that real. He's that tangible. And I'm telling you, in that practice of involving Him in everything throughout your day, you learn to walk in peace. For me, prayer has become a lifestyle, not just an event or an activity. And I've discovered that the more I pray, the more it is a lifestyle for me, the greater peace that I have. And so when we pray instead of worry, and we do so, it says here, with a thankful heart, it says the peace of God is going to stand guard over your hearts. Now, listen to me. It does not say that everything is going to be fixed. Anybody ever prayed and didn't see anything come out of the prayer? doesn't mean that God wasn't acting or doing something, but you, you know, I mean, it doesn't mean that your circumstances are automatically, every time, going to change the way you've asked God to change them. It may or may not make any difference from the way you see it, the way you experience something at that moment. 
And so I know some of you have given up on prayer because you think it doesn't work. I mean, I pray and God doesn't do anything. It doesn't change that situation. It doesn't change that person. But here's the thing we've got to get. When you and I pray, it may or may not change the circumstances, but you know what it does change? Me. It changes my heart. My focus is suddenly turned to God. It's taken off of this world, off of what's beyond me and bigger than me. And now it's like, God, I don't get this. And sometimes I don't like this. And I wish it were different. But Lord, I trust you. I, I believe in you. I'm going to give this to you. And when that happens, the peace of God guards my heart. Amen. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding. You're not, there are times you think, this makes no sense at all that I would have peace in the midst of this. You're going to think, oh man, I don't get it. And people are going to look at you and go, what's wrong with you? How can you be peaceful right now? What, what is going on? And you, go, you know, it's just that peace of God that transcends our understanding that's guarding your hearts. Stressed out about something right now? Job, finances, a relationship. All the things you have to do to get ready for Christmas. Stressed out about life? The Bible calls us, invites us to live in this way of life where we take it all to Him. In 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Jesus is called the Lord of Peace. In Isaiah 9.6, it's prophesied that He will be the Prince of Peace. When the angels appear to the shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus... Luke chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest. They're, they're declaring glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, peace to men on whom His favor rests. I want you to know this morning that the peace of God is real, and it's tangible, and it is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And you and I can and we will experience more peace as we stay connected to the One who is peace Himself. That's what prayer it does. It just keeps me connected. John 15, what did Jesus talk about? Bind the vine. Bind the vine. I'll bind in you and then you'll bear much fruit. And, and, and that connection that we have is the connection that gives us life. It gives us peace. The best way to stay connected is to live moment by moment in the presence of the one who is peace himself. Now, again, I'll be honest with you. I'm not there yet. In my 24 hours in a day, I don't know, maybe total, I'm good for four or five or six of those hours where I live with that kind of awareness. It used to be two or three hours, and now it's, you know, I'm growing. And so I want to encourage you. You might finish in a day and go, man, I think I was conscious and aware and thought of God twice. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe five minutes. But tomorrow, make it six or seven or ten minutes. And the day after that, just keep growing in this and know that God is patient and kind and good. Because the more you learn to walk in that kind of relationship, the more connected you are, the more peace you're going to experience. I'm the band come up right now. We're going to finish. As the band comes, I want to tell you a little story. I am my side of the family. I come from a long line of men who died in their 60s. Now, I'm not going to be morbid about this, but I just want to tell you what I went through a few weeks ago. My great-grandfather, Frank, died at 65 years of age. Never knew him. I never met him. Met my grandma, great-grandma, but never my great-grandpa Frank. My grandfather died at 64 on the operating table. 
My dad died at 63. And so, again, I come from a pretty long line of uh, men, Bubna men, who died in their 60s. And a few weeks ago, I said this weird thing happened. I don't know why, all of a sudden it just hit me. And, and I'm thinking, I started to do the math. Man, I may only have like 15 years left to live. I'm 48. And so, you know, if I live to 63, that's, yeah, that's 15 years. And it just hit me. I started thinking about that. And, and I didn't have this panic attack. I didn't freak out. But the reality of my mortality began to set in like it hasn't before. And maybe it's just the midlife thing. You know, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure the, the source of that. But I'll be honest with you. Again, it's just a few weeks ago. The more I thought about it, the more stressed out I started to get. Because I started to play the what if game. Anybody ever played the what if game? What if uh, I don't leave my wife financially secure? I mean, she's going to live till she's 100 the way she eats and lives, you know. What if I don't finish all the goals, my life goals, God? I've got things I want to do. I still want to jump out of an airplane, you know, with a parachute, by the way. What if I don't have grandkids? Where are my kids? I want lots of grandkids. So I started to play this what if game, and I started to get anxious and stressed out because of it. In the midst of that time, though, I want you to hear me say this. I, I've been learning. been learning this for a while. When I start to get anxious, that's the warning light. Warning, warning. Wait a minute. Here, this is not the way to live. This is not. And so you know what I did? I took all of that anxiety and I brought it to Jesus. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, cast the big cares, the stuff you really worry about. No, yeah, that's right. <laughs> cast all your cares. Yeah, don't you love that? Uh, let's think about it. Peter wrote this, right? Think Peter had any problems? He was always in trouble. You know, he always had cares. And I, you know, it says here that Peter wrote those words, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Cast all your care on him because he cares for you. I want to ask you to bow your heads and I want to pray for you this morning. Just take a few moments now, would you, and And I want you to hear the heart of Jesus. His invitation. His invitation for you to cast that care that you have on Him. To give it up. I want you to hear His invitation to come and pray and to converse and to take it all to Him. I want you to hear His invitation today, maybe, tomorrow, soon, to carve out some time where you're just experiencing that Sabbath rest with Jesus and where you're refueling and refreshing your soul, your mind, your body, your heart. Hear that invitation from Him. Just come. He's saying, come, come be with me. I want you to hear His invitation to you this morning to make people the priority in your life. Crazy time, lots of things to do, but make sure people are first. And as you hear that invitation, you're at the point where you can make a decision. Right here, right now. Are you going to say, yes, okay, God, I'm going to do that. I, I need you to help me do that, but I'm, I choose you. Or are you going to keep going the way you've been going? And you can decide. You can choose right here, right now. 
I also want to tell you this morning that knowing real peace begins with knowing Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and you've not begun a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the Lord of peace wants to be your Lord. The Prince of Peace wants to be the one who can set you free from your past. To know real peace begins with knowing Him as your Lord and Savior. And in fact, I'm going to pray right now a prayer. And I just, if this is your heart, if this is what you want to do this morning, if you want to begin your life with Jesus, then you just repeat this prayer after me. And everyone in the room, all the Christians who've prayed this many times, they're going to do it too, just to support you. But choose Him. To know real peace begins with knowing Jesus. And right here in this moment, you can say, yes, God, I choose to give my life and heart to you. And so would you just pray after me, dear Jesus, I come to you and I bring my past, I bring my pain, I bring my sin to the foot of the cross and I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come into my heart, into my life and change me from the inside out. I choose you today. The Prince of Peace. And I give you all that I am and all that I have. And I receive all that you have for me. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask for those this morning that prayed that prayer for the first time, that today you just seal that in their hearts, that today they've begun their life with you. And that though perhaps the circumstances around them may or may not change, they've changed, Lord. That inside today they began their walk with you. Make that real. Seal that truth. Let them see how loved they are by the Father. And for all of us, God, just take our hearts this morning to that place of peace, I pray. In your name, amen.